Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport Series 10 Episode 2 It's uh, just on 8 o'clock here in the UK Pitch black outside And in the middle of the country No snow, very cold But it's been a beautiful bright winter's day Here uh, in Hindoff or around Hindoff Towers today Although not that I've been across the doors Been very busy sorting things out for the next few weeks However up in London, presumably without any snow as well Is Tim Gray haven't seen any snow today, but that doesn't mean that there has been no snow. No, there has been quite a lot as well. There's been enough snow to cause traffic chaos, according to all the 24-hour news channel, really? which apparently is a quarter of an inch. Ooh. Yeah. I've seen no traffic chaos today. <laughs> there, was traffic, there was traffic chaos yesterday, but uh, that's due to greedy bus drivers. Uh, I'm not even going to ask. I'm not even going to ask. Uh, on a packed show tonight... Uh, on a packed show tonight, listeners may find uh, features which uh, they believe are familiar if they've listened before. <laughs> that isn't as catchy, frankly, as your usual tagline. It's more accurate, though. <laughs> OK. Uh, no Nick Damon tonight. He's off uh, in some kind of peacock pose doing his yoga retreat, uh, as tends to be at this time of the year. Uh, he's... Seriously? Yeah, I have. I know. We packed him off to Goa, and uh, he's there with the, the lovely Rachel, his uh, his lady wife, and uh, we, we can't even get him on the beach this year. We've tried. He's not answering the Skype, uh, so he's off sitting somewhere saying "om" a lot. Uh, so no 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 Nick Damon tonight, which means obviously we won't be talking about any Formula One stories. Uh, if only that were true. <laughs> uh, however. Uh, we do still have a packed programme, and uh, in the second half of tonight's show, if all goes well, Jim Roller will be joining us yes. as we look back on the row before the 24 as part uh, of our build-up to the Rolex 24 Daytona, which is scarily less than... Well, no, it's it's a, this time next week, the show will be live from Daytona. Yes. I'm very excited about that, if I'm honest. Uh, and uh, that's all coming. We've got some... Uh, Exclusive interviews as well in the second hour and a pointless press release. But we have to say good evening and welcome to our first guest of the evening, who is the editor of DailySportsCar.com. And that is joining us from GGHQ, it's not a shed, Graham Goodwin. Good evening. Good evening, everybody. How the hell are we all? Uh, we're good, man. We're good. Have you, uh, have you recovered from our exertions in Dubai? Uh I think so. It was actually slightly more exhausting than I thought it was going to be. Mm. Um, I think, uh, you know, good, good old sleep on the plane the way home, but uh, then got home, sat down for a cup of tea, woke up four hours later. 
Mm. Yes, that I have to say that I think I may have been asleep before we pushed back. Uh, Joe Bradley complained of interrupted sleep, apparently take off and landing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Noisy engines, that's what it is. Noisy engines. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, however, we'll be getting the gang back together uh, next week to do it all again in another 24 hours. I'd forgotten why we stopped doing Daytona. <laughs> One of the reasons we stopped doing Daytona <laughs> was that it's so close to uh, to Dubai. Uh, before we, we kick off and do the news, just a quick thought about what we watched at Dubai it's another one of those races isn't it that's just grown and grown Graham over the last few years and the third victory by Black Falcon uh, not quite a a record distance although a a single lap further five kilometres longer than than last year's but not quite the 628 laps if memory serves of a couple of years ago but you can't take anything away from Black Falcon another great Performance in a week when they'd actually been quite low key leading up to the race. It had. I mean, it was. Um, yeah, you can't take away from the the winning team. They, they had a near spotless run. Obviously, lost the other car to an instant sort of mid race. Um, but unfortunately, the kind of the um, most of the meaningful incident affected the potentially leading runners. So what that gave us was a gap to, frankly, what was a fantastic battle behind that involved a couple of. Uh, very good GT, uh, very good A6 Pro GT3 Pro cars from Ram Racing, and more of them, I'm sure, a little later in the show, and uh, also from the KPM team and their Aston Martin. But for me, the standout performances were actually in the in the Pro Am class, the A6 uh, Am class, and Dragon Racing just showed what you can do while sticking to a bracket time, didn't they? Astonishing stuff. Overall podium, and uh, ran as faultlessly as a Ferrari ever can over 24 hours. And uh, second in that class, an absolutely fantastic run from Bob Neville's RJN team with mm. the, well, let's face it, the old hand that is Florian, I've been racing for a year, Strauss. 14 months he's had his racing licence, that's oh, all. 14 you months. You know, so, so basically ready, near for, ready for retirement then. And, uh, and four brand new, shiny GT Academy graduates. And uh, of those, the vast majority impressed me greatly, John. Yeah, and the event itself goes from strength to strength. Best part of 30 GT3 cars, uh, A6 class cars. We're going to see 30 A class GT3 cars at Bathurst uh, in just under a, a month's time. Uh, whatever anybody thinks about GT3, it has its place in world motorsport and. I think it's, I mean, it has been the making of, of these events. One or two interesting comments. I was hoping to have Ollie Webb on the show tonight, actually, but he's not back in the UK yet, and uh, getting him, we tried this afternoon, and yesterday and this afternoon, to record a piece with him, or try and get him on the show live tonight, but the, the internet, where he is in the world at the moment, still in the Middle East, was not uh, not playing ball. But I thought Ollie's comments to all of our pit lane crew, and well done to... Uh, Nick to Bruce and to particularly to Joe Bradley who was running a horrible fever whilst he was out there. I thought Ollie Webb's comments about uh, understanding that that is effectively a, if you like, it's an amateur's race that the professionals are allowed to come and play in. I, I thought he did himself no harm at all. Sounded very sensible. No hint of a, oh, well, there's too many cars out there. I can't be bothered with the passing. I don't want to do two or four. You know, there was none of that at all from Ollie. He did really well, I thought. Well, well was it was it 
yourself, it was certainly one of the Red Hill Mon crew that relayed the tale of the driver's briefing because it was a specific uh, that was briefing. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just for the A6 guys, and it was Jerry Villams, wasn't it, from McFontic, who um, I think you tell that tale well, John. I think you should tell it again because it bears repeating. And I think that showed in a number of the comments we got from the pro drivers. Uh, the the short, the long and the short of it was that uh, Gary Phillips, who's one of the organisers from Creventi, got the A6 drivers together and related his driving career, which, like many of us, was was short and truncated by lack of funds. His first racing car was a Seat Ibiza diesel, 1.9, and it looked pretty standard. But to him, it was the world's best racing car because it was his first racing car. Qualified. I think in the mid 60s of an 80 car field and finished in the low 50s and won his class in his first race and relayed this story to the guys and said now just remember your first race all of you take five seconds five four three two one remember how you felt because the majority of the field are feeling just like that and you're part of that and I don't want you guys to mess it up and that's I'm, I'm paraphrasing there massively but that's effectively what he was saying and it clearly had an effect on people oh, and it absolutely must have done because certainly we were hearing a tone from some of our top pros that we've probably not heard in that kind of context off enough frankly um you know it, of course it's frustrating when you're able to go quicker and there are you know cars of mixed pace and drivers of mixed ability but the reality is that's part of the race and Generally speaking, with the with the odd whoopsie to reports, it was you know most of the kind of damage for the cars that uh, suffered damage was pretty well self-inflicted. Uh, so it, I think it clearly had an effect. And again, Kritik and their partners uh, pulling off another very good event indeed, and uh, showing the way again. By the way, for the rest of world motorsport, by again um, on the day the race finished, announcing next year's uh, the date of next year's race. In, in fact, it was up as soon as we got there, which was quite remarkable. The other thing that I, I want to, again, we've done this before, but I do want to compliment the guys at Creventic for is the amount of information that is available to us and to the listener and viewer on the internet. Uh, the guys at timeservice.nl are phenomenal with what they can do. They they write the code um, they've asked Paul Trustwell and ourselves what we would like to see we've pointed them in the right direction and basically every time we ask for something it pops up we don't have enough screens to see it all frankly I know that many of you had multiple screens the 24 hour streaming once again in fact more than that and uh, thanks to Fred Vigier and Mortis TV as well for putting the whole event on at least in the UK I know that not everybody that got Mortis got the whole event but uh, certainly in the UK uh, it was streamed flag it was televised rather flag to flag um, there's a, a conversation to be had about why geo-blocking doesn't work and <laughs> why, ge why geo-blocking actually stops TV channels in the long term taking events like that um, it, it's proved time and time again that there's an audience for that and that's the reason that Mortis want to broadcast it uh, and they're not wanting it to be to be geo-blocked I, I, I thought it was a great event up and down not the close finish that we thought what was it four no, or five no. laps at it, the end but but it was an endurance race it was an old school endurance race there was uh, plenty of speed uh, a little bit of attrition I mean we still have 
fantastic reliability on GT3 cars at the head of the field, which, all right, they are designed to do 24 hours, but even the touring cars were pretty damn good, I they, thought. They did very well. I, mean, I think there's a couple of, couple of major points to actually raise. One is well done around racing, their return mm. to the track, and that will have secured, I believe, uh, what is now... Uh, a confirmed full season in the 24-hour series with that brand new Mercedes and very shiny it looked too. Uh, pretty faultless run from them as well. Uh, but as well, it's a correction genre, something we broadcast from, and I think it was the final qualifying session that brought that session to a, to a premature end, and that was a very nasty shunt uh, mm. that affected uh, Isaac Tatumlu, uh in the uh, the 15 Ferrari losing it on oil and saying some pretty off-colour things afterwards, I'm afraid, uh, after that incident. But uh, he took out, uh, out of control, but he took out the absolutely innocent uh, Dan Welch in the 62 Porsche. Neither car made the race. Dan's car uh, lost the front right corner and pierced the fuel cell, I believe, as well. Mm. Uh, now, we at that stage, because we'd seen Dan out of the car, thought he was basically okay, but on later uh, examination, he's cracked ribs and I believe punctured a lung as punctured well. Punctured so lung, get, yes. Yeah, so get well soon, Dan. That's a nasty injury. Um, and very sorry indeed that we didn't get to see the 62, the STP sponsored car in the race and that uh, your colleagues didn't get a chance to, to race with you. But uh, do get well soon. Uh, that's uh, Graham Goodwin of DailySportsCar.com, editor thereof. He's with us uh, at uh, RadioLeMond.com, and you can tweet to us at RadioLeMond.com and at Specutainment. Uh, well done to everybody at the weekend. It was a it was a fabulous uh, event, and particularly to the responsible adult for pulling it all together again, and also to Nismo uh, for sponsoring our and the TV coverage. Uh, of what went on over the weekend. Tim Gray is up in London. Uh, where are we going first? Uh, do we, are we going to have a news jingle? Uh, we'll have a news jingle, yes. Uh, yeah, okay. That's uh, this one. Click. Were. Click. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And we're going to start with a bit more sports car news while we have Graham Goodwin from DailySportsCar.com because uh, it's only January and British GT is already oversubscribed. Which is magnificent. Uh, Graham, British GT has been on the up for a couple of three years now and well done to Benji and the rest of the organising crew for getting it together. GT3 and the rise of that has is, is obviously played a part. But actually, GT4 is uh, is where the numbers, uh, where the big increase in numbers is coming from this year. A big increase. I think it's going to be knocking on for 50-50. Uh, I think possibly something like, uh, what is it, something like 14 or 15 each in uh, what's set to be a 28-car full-season grid and probably more than that for certain races. But, uh, yeah, I think there's a couple of stories about this. One is that, you know, I think we've been, uh, DSC and Mark Housen in particular, has covered uh, British GT for us since God was a lad, I think <laughs> I'm allowed to say, without someone coming in with an AK-47. Um, Stop! <laughs> but um, the, the rise of GT4 has been something that Mark has been predicting for a little wee while now. It's taken quite a while, but we're getting there now. Uh, confirmed five, and I hear possibly six Aston Martin GT4 cars, including your Woman of the Year, of course, will be out there. Jed Edwards will be out there with her sister Chloe for the full season. Um, there might be a kind of the slightly hidden factor here is that 
Uh, we've got a couple of teams that will be back. United Autosports are gone. Track speed are gone and are looking for a buyer for that uh, that team. And so far, I believe, have not found one. Little bit of dissatisfaction, I think, with some of the level of communication uh, with the series from some of the GT3 entries, which might explain a bit of the drop-off. But Benjamin has promised news of what he promises to be an improved broadcast deal for 2015. It needs to be, because we've now got a grid, racing, and a championship that deserves it. Um, and, you know, hopefully they can get over the difficulties I know they've had there in uh, getting that, those deals together and that we can get a wider audience for what is absolutely one of the best national GT series in the world. Uh, and in fairness, a lot of people asking us if we're going to be covering British GT. The answer is we would love to. We are still uh, continuing, or Eve is still continuing to talk to the series. Uh, we as you know, have uh, approved the concept. We know that there's an audience for it and we'd love to do it. It's just a question of getting the uh, series to support that uh, or and or people within the series to support that. But we've had some sensible uh, back and forth uh, and I- I'm going to say there's been a very good debate on the Facebook page, actually, on the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective. I'm going to say what I said on there. It's not a question of somebody handing us an amount of money as they do to get the TV made. Uh, what we need is some facilities and a bit of support and the ability to go in and raise some money from within the paddock. Um, and if that happens, there's a very good chance that we can do some live. There's no live TV, there has not been live TV for the most part because it's not geared up to do that. The production budget uh, that, that uh, British GT has goes towards making a highlight show. So it's not a case, people think it's just a, oh, why don't you just stream it? There's TV cameras there. They're not doing a live show. It's not on the TV screens at the track, so there's nothing that can go outside the track. For the most part, there's been a couple of lives in the last couple of years. Now, if that changes this year, then there's the ability to stream it as well. Again, something that we've talked to the series about, being able to stream it with our commentary on RadioLamont.com. And if that becomes an option, you'll be, you guys out there will be the first to know. But at the moment, um, it's about how the TV is made and that it is prioritised towards a highlights programme and not towards a, uh, a live programme. It, it's not made on site, it's post-produced actually um, in the weeks following following the events. But uh, keep your ear to the ground about that. I think there's good news about uh, about British GT and, and we need a strong British GT championship in the same way as we need a strong British Touring Car Championship. It's good to have those two series uh, looking healthy. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport just after a quarter past eight. It's series two episode, sorry, series ten episode two and then he took you back in time series there, series two. two. Series two episode ten. More was Mad Men in the 40s, wasn't it, John? Stop it. Um, in my 20s, I think, then. Um, let's uh, let's move on to the next news story. What do you have for us, Tim? Uh, well, next uh, we have uh, some uh, local news. <laughs> local to whom? To you, mainly. Okay. Uh, because uh had a press release... Um, trying to think when it was. It was uh, it was last week, but we didn't have time to get into last week's show. Uh, and it reads as follows. The British Racing Drivers Club, brackets BRDC, close brackets, has appointed <laughs> a new management team at yep. Silverstone Circuit to drive the business forward in 2015 yes. and beyond. Yep. Now, we reported last year that the uh, previous management team had been suspended 
uh, and it turns out that uh, following their suspension they all uh, made the uh, decision that uh, the time was right for them to leave the uh, business or Silverstone Circuits Limited and pursue other opportunities mm. yep um, so funny that funny that <laughs> and they, there's uh, no comment whatsoever coming down the line from me <laughs> there, there was an interim team uh, yep. put in place which included uh, Lawrence Tomlinson yep. who's far too busy to do this sort of thing full time uh, Jason Plato who's far too busy to do this sort of thing full time uh, and a couple of others in fairness only one of those two is a successful businessman because everything with respect to Jason he was a very good racing car driver and frankly he's a he's pretty been... good salesman uh, he's, person. Yeah, but all of the businesses that he've ever done have sunk without trace. Mm. <laughs> Remember, he started a PR agency that disappeared. His uh, his uh, marketing company is doing very well. Mm. Has a lot okay. of high-profile clients. Uh, anyway, the Silverstone Silverstone team is now led by Patrick Allen. Right. Not uh, that one. Not that one. All right. Not that one. Okay. Uh, supported by Stuart Pringle Stuart Pringle's back Stuart Pringle never went ah Stuart good. Pringle is BRDC he was, not he was BRDC circuit. secretary wasn't he I believe he still is yeah Stuart is a very sensible pair a very sensible person and a safe pair of hands yes and like a him a young, lot very young outlook as well uh, that's not saying a lot when it comes to the BRDC but je- even uh, accounting for him being part of the BRDC he has a very young outlook no in all seriousness I like Stuart a lot I think he's a very sensible character uh, and that is a is a positive move for Silverstone Circuits uh, so Patrick Allen's first uh, bit of business has been to say that he thinks uh, ticket prices for the British Grand Prix are too expensive uh, and on what does he base that and and why is he why is he bringing that up why do, why does he want to lower prices to him in his mind he has a benchmark of a 99 pound admission ticket and i'm sure and i'm sure everybody would love that because to happen because that's what customers deserve right but uh, it sells out every year we 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 get press release after press release it does. saying that it's oversubscribed and it's sold out every year so why would is, they want to drop prices well because by dropping prices mm-hmm. uh, he can sell even more tickets the problem is he then has to convince uh, the two local authorities uh, that govern his license um, that on health and safety grounds uh, he can allow more people into the circuit and they will be safe and will be able to get in and out uh, without too much trouble can we rewind about six or seven months to you reading us a story about the takeover of Silverstone circuits uh, falling apart because the Middle Eastern consortium had a look at the returns from Silverstone and found out that some of the numbers weren't perhaps as had been expected in terms of attendance he says diplomatically am I making that up or did we do that story I don't remember that at all (laughs) I really don't Okay. what we do know is that uh, his plan is to uh, drop the prices for some spectators Mm -hmm. uh, and that would be balanced out by an increase in concession sales 
Well, only if... Well, Which something to cost 40 quid for a burger and a can of Coke. Except that at the British Grand Prix, Silverstone doesn't make any money from concession sales because they're all controlled by a agency called Allsport, which is owned by... Uh, Formula One management? Uh, Paddy, Paddy, Paddy McNally. Well Paddy McNally, yes. Yeah. Who's uh, friends with... Uh, Bernard Charles Ecclestone. Indeed. Mm. Wheels within wheels, eh? Yeah. So, chief executive of Silverstone Circuit Limit doesn't understand his own business model. That's really encouraging. Oh, he's only been in the job a week. <laughs> okay. And it only took him four days or five days to come up with uh, which two of them were a weekend to come mm-hmm. up with the let's drop tri- ticket prices. Uh, As Nick yeah. Holland has just tweeted to Ashbeck Entertainment, it could well be £99 for general admission, but will it be still 26 quid for parking? Oh, mm-hmm. most certainly. They don't want people to drive there. Richard Leeds says, if it sells out, why are there so many empty seats? Because they're not allowed to have um, more people in, uh, or enough people in that would actually make the circuit look busy. Ah, right. That's Uh, against their Their licence restricts them, and I wish I knew what the number was. Uh, On the old circuit, it was 130,000. I know it's risen slightly uh, because of the wing. wing. Mm. Um, but I don't think it's risen significantly. It's probably no more than another 10,000. Um, but there's, there's, there's a question I've got, which is, bearing in mind all the figures we ever see from Silverstone to do with every race meeting I've ever been at, when there's actually 130,000 people in there, what do they claim is in there? <laughs> in because 19- few, few, if any, of the, the, the previous figures quoted by them bear any, any kind of... Um, any kind of semblance to reality in the 1980s um, when they had a more blasé aptitude to health and safety I might suggest uh, they seemed to let in a lot more people than they said they'd let in um, right. possibly 50% more mm. um, because they would say oh we had 120,000 people here this year because that's what they're allowed to but actually, they probably had 180,000 people in there. Yeah. James Foster has just tweeted, I'd speak to you, but the fact that you now get offered finance for a Formula One ticket at Silverstone is exactly the reason the price needs to change. Hey, don't get me wrong. I think it's fantastic if the prices do come down to £99 for a race day ticket. A race day ticket. I'm, I'm sorry, but I am old enough to remember when the whole weekend cost us I think 36 or 37 pounds and the reason that we didn't camping was on top the reason that we didn't go back the next year was for the Sunday only uh, it went up to 42 pounds just for the Sunday there was a huge rise in in that time and that, I mean that doesn't sound a lot of money now but you know I was I was still you know working with the pit ponies in those days and getting three shillings and sixpence a week um, the um, there, there was a um there was a time not that long ago where actually if you bought the three-day pass in advance and you could only could buy it in advance and when i say advance mm. they stopped selling them about two months before the race mm-hmm. um you could get a three-day pass for 99 pounds yeah um, i believe that but three months to go when they stopped selling that you had to buy individual tickets and the sunday only ticket was 110 yeah um so hello it's all Chris. about advanced purchase and i think that's possibly what we'll see here that he'll yes. 
have £99 race day tickets available up to a point, and then suddenly, if you think, oh, six weeks before the race, I want to go to the British Grand Prix, it'll be £340 for you, sir. Silver still in Ryanair marketing gimmick shock. Uh, it's a pound for your F1 ticket <laughs> and uh, £250 in booking charges. Uh, Eric Road says, just wait until the F1 ticket financing bubble bursts, which I like. Uh, and AMR, Adrian Michael Reese has tweeted, actually, about your team. And having been in a Silverstone stand, frankly, I'd rather be stood by the fence than sitting down even further away from the track. Hello to Chris Suku, who's reported late tonight. Uh, let's say the note, please, uh, Chris, if you don't mind. Uh, just after 25 minutes past eight, Series 10, Episode 2, it's Tim, John and Graham Goodwin tonight. No Nick Damon, he's uh, relaxing in Goa, although uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully Possibly. we... Uh, yeah, might have a word with uh, Marshall Pruitt in the second half of the programme and uh, I've just had a note to say that Jim Roller will be joining us in the second hour of the programme tonight so that's all good news where are we going to next Tim? Uh, well actually Nick Damon will definitely be relaxing because it's very early in the morning there um, how far ahead are they? I they're believe about they're five hours five and a half there's a half, a half hour so yeah. it's 2am ok lovely uh, and uh, I so mentioned we, so features. It's only half past eight. Yes. So that's half past one. If it's five and a half, it's two. No. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Oh yes, you're right. Sorry, I can't do arithmetic. We know. Carry on. Uh, I mentioned earlier features that uh, regular listeners would find familiar. And yes. For the first time this year, it's Gary Pavitt's Winds of the Week. Oh, we haven't had this for quite some time. Well, he stopped doing it once he found out that we had a feature called Gary Pappett's Wind of the Week, I think. He did actually tweet that, didn't he? He did tweet, is that a thing, <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, so, former McLaren Formula One test driver, Gary mm-hmm. Pappett, mm-hmm. uh, says... Uh, Formula One's new points-based super license system is flawed and needs a rethink. He was listening to us last week, clearly. Uh, no, he thinks that uh, because he wouldn't have been able to get a super license, there must be something wrong with the system. Hasn't really helped him, has it? No. How how many starts has Gary Pafford got in Formula One? None. How, so but not have. Uh, you need to go back to uh, the this time in 2006 when there was a significant chance that Gary Paffert uh, could have had a drive in Formula 1 mm-hmm. but uh, under the point system he wouldn't have been eligible because he'd spent the previous uh, season in DTM where he won the championship and the one before that was in DTM and the one before mm-hmm. that was in DTM right. and DTM is not eligible for any points towards a super licence other uh, DTM champions who wouldn't have made it to Formula 1 right a suggestion from you John uh, Jamie Green well Jamie Green didn't make it to Formula 1 right well sorry I, you mean that half yes well I don't know is the short answer Paul DeResta oh uh, really ok uh, Graham have you got any uh, ideas of a former DTM champion that uh, did make it to Formula 1 but wouldn't have done uh, based on the point system? 
I can think of many, many, many people who've actually made it uh, to DTM having uh, left Formula One. Um, yes. Ooh. Did Schneider do it after or before his Formula One career? I think it might have been both sides. Mm. Uh, Christian Albers was a DTM champion. No, he wasn't. Yes, he was. No, he wasn't. Who was? Christian Albers. No, he wasn't. Do we think not? I don't think so. Stop fighting. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Albers won it. Ooh. He was in it, though, in fairness. He was in it. He certainly was in it, but um, I don't think he ever won it. By the way, just in case you were wondering uh, which Patrick Allen we were talking about, um, here are some words of wisdom from the new CEO of the... uh, of, uh, of of Silverstone Circuits. Choose a room in your home which will give the best protection from fallout. If you live in a house, the safest place is the ground floor or basement. That's that's Patrick Allen. Wise words, Patrick. Yes. Nothing there about uh, nothing there about ticket prices, though. No. But and then of course, he famously, was about a uh, uh, world post-nuclear apocalypse. So. Yeah, it's, tickets, it's, it's, tickets, tickets that's may a fair not have been important. Formula One. <laughs> Famously, of course, was the voice at the start of Two Tribes by um, Frankie Costa Hollywood. Yes. You're absolutely right. Uh, Christian Albers didn't win the DTM. Ah. Oh, straight out of the park. I'm going to run it back of the net. <laughs> <laughs> Goodwin but, in um, non sports Tom Tomchik Tom Tom did, didn't he? Yes, yeah. Yes, but that was in Only 2011. Yeah. Uh, Simon Speakhart has the just agreed. Champion. Simon Speakhart has agreed. Albers never won at Schneider. Was in DTM after Formula One. Uh, and Jake also. Um, what about Tom Christensen? Uh, Tom Christensen. Tom, uh, and Tom Christensen was never in Formula One either. Nope. But he, he would tested. have had points. Uh, would he? Yes. That's interesting. Um, the most interesting thing, by the way, I found out about Tom Christensen, the interview I did with him post-season, right. was um, in his fir- I think it was his first start at Le Mans. Between practice sessions, he went to the A1 ring using Reinhold Yurst's private jet, which he paid for, um, to go to a F3000 test. Mm. He even, he even remembered exactly how much he paid Ranald <laughs> No, no, I, I believe that yeah. part of it. Uh, he has had a, near, a street named after him in his, town, his hometown in uh, Denmark this week, uh, which I thought was a nice touch. There was a, a, a bit of a folderol for TK. Uh, Special case, <laughs> Tom Christensen Street. It's simple as that. Nothing, uh, nothing too clever. And uh, let's just uh, eavesdrop again on the uh, Silverstone Circuits board meeting. The better the protection. If you live in a block of flats, which is more than five floors high, it is important not to use the top two floors. Yeah, that's the uh, uh, that's the uh, the Brooklyn Suites out then. Uh, uh, moving on, no, Tim, what do we have? It's not more than five floors <laughs> high, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't go on to the roof of the Brooklyn Suites. Certainly. No, no. Uh, Christian Maybe Albers uh, was the runner-up uh, in the DTM in 2003, ah, there you go. scoring four points fewer than champion Ben Schneider, but winning more races. Ah, okay. Twice as many more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, I think we all agree with Gary Paffett, though. 
that uh, the system is flawed. But maybe I'm going to say what I said last week when we were in Dubai. It's the wrong answer to a question that hasn't been asked. But maybe we don't all agree that DTM uh, should be classed as a feeder championship to Formula One. Mm, okay. Moving on. Um, well, we have a card. No, that's our pointless press release of the week. Oh, well, no, that's too early. It's far too early for that. Um, do we do some rallying? Uh, uh, yes. Yes. We've got... I mean, we can do some more. There's... Uh, um, there is some more sports kind news. Yes, that's what I was trying to say. Yes. Um, uh, but the World Rally Championship last season saw mm-hmm. a debut win in their debut season for Hyundai. Yes. Uh, who last season uh, had rotating drivers. No, 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 that's not true. They may have rotated the drivers through the seats. They didn't have rotating drivers unless they were very, very bad at keeping the car in a straight line. Uh, Oh, Brian Bouffier, I think, was, yes. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But uh, this year it said no more rotation. Uh, We're going to stick with Thierry Neuville, Danny Sordo, and Hayden Padden. Right. For most of the season. Okay. Um, because Hayden Padden isn't doing um, the opening round at Monte Carlo, which is next week. Yes, I know. Well, we've we've had two Dakars, one in Africa and one in South America. Um, yes. they're, we've had a are they, hour race. Are they still happening at the moment? I'm sorry, they I've kind are, of... yes. And okay. uh, uh, Roman um, Dumas has actually uh, had to withdraw from Dakar. Today. The real Dakar, the South American one, the one that's actually Dakar, yes. Yeah, the one that's in Africa. No, in South America. Okay. That that's the real one organised by um, ASO. Okay. So moving on. Um. So, having confirmed their three drivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they then signed another driver today. Uh, Kevin Abering is his name. Right. Uh, he was formerly a uh, Volkswagen factory driver and before that a Peugeot factory driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he replaces Brian Bouffier as Hyundai's test driver uh, but will also be taking part in several rallies as well. Hmm. I'm, I'm delighted we've got this uh, this line to Silverstone to the uh, the board meeting where uh, let's see what they're discussing now something to do with broadcasting I believe when you take believe. cover in your inner refuge you must not go outside until it is absolutely safe and if the fallout is heavy you may be in your refuge for quite a long time although the danger from fallout will get less and less as time goes by you will never be able to judge for yourself how bad it is. Advice will be given to you on the radio, so keep listening. Well, that's fine advice there from uh, from Patrick well, Allen. Uh, uh, they, 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 they're going to need to move that boardroom from uh, right next to the pit lane klaxon, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, that was uh, an awful lot of traffic out there as well during the, during it, during that uh, particular uh, section of the board meeting. It sounds uh, it sounds like it. What I do, uh, I do does like concern the fa- me is that uh, when they gave the advice. 
to listen to the radio. Uh, that was in the days when long-wave radio was quite uh, popular and uh, people still had radios that could receive long-wave. Mm. And uh, now they don't. I think that's zero still chance of FM or DAB working in a post-nuclear apocalyptic world. No, it'll be fine at Silverstone. They'll have that. Oh, Radio absolutely Silverstone fine. will be on. You'll yes. get the, yeah, all the regular fine. voices. Yes, absolutely. Right, uh, sports car news. Okay. Uh, and uh, very important uh, event for General Motors uh, this week, according to the press release they sent me this afternoon. All right. What have they done? It's the Nyair. The what? North American International Auto Show. Nyairs. Yes. This is a Nyairs. Nyairs. Yeah. Um, they don't appear to be doing anything uh, racing based at the show but they've unveiled something that looks like it might be a different version of a road car um, Ford on the other hand mm-hmm. oh, no. I've announced uh, a mid-engined uh, sports car well, GT car well, I mean, that's, that's going to be a surprise to all Motorsport mode support uh, listeners I'll, I'll, that's, that's com- completely out of the blue and well, you say out of the blue, it is blue. It is, uh, it's yeah. It's got a blue oval on it. Other, col- other colours are available, I think. Yes. What colour will it be when it races at Le Mans next year? Is it going to race at Le Mans? That's stunning. That's amazing. That's another one out the blue. Bolt for the blue there for all the listeners this evening. Isn't it funny, though, Graham? seriously, how major news outlets like the BBC seem shocked that that Ford GT concept car or the Ford GT streetcar rather was being uh, was was being prepared when it's it's not exactly being a secret anyone who reads Auto Express or listens to this show in fact six months ago we were talking about the only way that Ford could possibly come back into GT it won't be the Mustang um, you know it possibly could be the Mustang but it's more likely to be a Halo car that doesn't exist yet which will be announced next year is what we said <laughs> well um, I think that the problem is the BBC probably wouldn't want to show pictures of that car in case it offended somebody that's right so, uh, you're, on your high, yeah. you're, you're on your high horse by this a number of people <laughs> uh, a number of people actually on the collective um, who are much cleverer than me in fairness that is everybody on the collective um one of our listeners has looked at it with an aerodynamicist's air, uh, um, pair of eyes rather, and said, because Adrian knew his eyeballs were lying about apparently, and the he said that the singed waist and the treatment around the uh, B pillars was very, very interesting for a road car, but you could see why it was being done for a, a race car. The, the most interesting thing for me is the engine uh, and the, the chassis. The chassis is carbon fibre. Everybody, oh, carbon fibre. No, no, rules were changed. If the street car, McLaren got those rules changed, I think a couple of years ago now, if the street well, car, yeah. yeah, if the street car has a carbon chassis, the, the race car can have a carbon chassis. They're talking about a turbocharged EcoBoost engine. Now there is an issue with that because you're not allowed. If I'm as as it stands at the moment, at least Graham, if I'm right, um, I haven't been through all of the new regs, but certainly last year you wouldn't have been allowed a turbocharged GTE car. You, it has to be normally aspirate, not allowed diesel either. I don't think in GT. Um, so so that is going to have to change in some way, shape, or form. 
Is it is it just me, but I sort of sense the rules might get changed to allow that car to race at Le Mans next year? I think the issue will be it would be easier to give them a waiver for a larger normally aspirated engine than to open the can of supercharged worms that the turbochargers or indeed superchargers themselves I use the word supercharged in the broadest sense of the word whichever way the air it's is really compressed it's not exactly a small engine though is it? Uh, no it's th- three it's and a three... half litre yeah yeah but I, I I just wonder how that might work I mean it's not like the bereft of V8s at Ford but most of the V8s aren't perhaps as technologically advanced as the EcoBoost. I mean, in fairness, the Ford Mustang is going to get a 2.2 EcoBoost four-cylinder engine that's turbocharged for 350 horsepower. So, uh, it, clearly, the the power output... And, you know, Ford have got a three-cylinder engine at, I think, one litre three-cylinder engine, which in a streetcar is putting out... 150 horsepower. Well, so, I had one of those, John, I had one of those in a Rover some years ago. It, okay, it was meant to have four cylinders, but three <laughs> cylinders it most certainly ran on. But uh, I, I disagree. I think uh, you will see um, Ford persuade uh, the ACO of the uh, validity of that program, um, particularly if they commit to more than one year. And let's face yes. it, it's not so very long afterwards that we'll be seeing the new GT regs. And uh, well, you know what? I'd like to see uh, Ford encouraged to come with a directly relevant car rather than us having another car with a ludicrous waiver that doesn't uh, doesn't actually bear resemblance to the, to the car they actually market for the street. Yeah, uh, the issue is going to... Well, first of all, we're expecting, and Marshall Pruitt's been all over this um, for quite a long time, so most of what we're repeating now, we're seeing now is is just what has already been on racer.com and if you're not watching racer.com and daily sports car on a daily basis then you're, you're missing out uh, Marshall's Intel uh, says that the week of Le Mans or somewhere near Le Mans there will be an announcement about the 2016 season for that car which given its timing um, I'm seeing speculating that that is full WEC and Le Mans, possibly some cherry picking of races in IMSA in their home market uh, as well. But I don't think a number of people are saying, "Are we going to see it this year? Will it debut at Petite? Possibly, but it might. It might. But I'm not sure about that. It, I, it, we'll we'll wait and see. You and I, Graham, along with Marshall, as long ago as Quarter, saw the unofficial. GT working group sitting together which included representatives who are involved in that Ford program sitting talking about 16 and beyond and uh, absolutely the there's no doubt to, 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 me, idea, to my mind that, that it, I know Marshall's actually said this on the show before John is that uh, we expect it to be Ganassi running that program on behalf of Ford and Joe Taylor has just thank you Joe Turbos here uh, are allowed. Section 5.5, turbocharged engines up to 4 litres. In GTE, Joe, just check that for me. Thank you. Um, uh, if that is the case, thank you very much, Joe. Um, I, I, I still haven't been through the uh, the regulations yet because they haven't been printed out. I don't 
I just can't look at regulations on a computer. I need to have them on paper. Uh, next flight, I'll print them out and uh, go through them. Go through them all. It's exciting, though, isn't it? The new NSX. Um, this on again, off again, on again car from Honda Stroke Acura was released as well, or debuted as well at the at the show. That's a pretty car. No. Though in fairness, John, in racing terms, that's definitely off again. Dead, dead duck as far as racing's concerned. Believe yes. so. Believe so. Certainly, as a GTE car, which is what we were uh, initially uh, expecting and hoping for. I'm sure we'll see the car over in some form um, in Super GT. But as a uh, ACO rules car, I believe that the program that we know was live is no longer. Um, a, a number of people uh, tweeting in, uh, in, including Nick Holland, who is right on the money tonight. 2017 is a good year for Ford. The 1967 uh, Ford victory, of course, uh, the All-American uh, victory for the Ford GT, the original Ford GT40. Um, there's an anniversary uh, for the guys at Dearborn, um, which... I'm sure they could uh, trawl something from the coffers to support that. Um, you're listening to RadioLamont.com. It is just after a quarter to nine. Graham Goodwin, uh, Nick Damon not with us tonight. So Tim is up in London uh, and John Hindorf here. We'll have uh, Jim Roller in the second half of the programme looking back at the Raw before, along with some uh, exclusive content from Marshall Pruitt, uh, talking to a few of the guys out there. And if you haven't downloaded those three programmes from Shane Jim yet, do it. Very, very good stuff from the guys. They worked very hard indeed. Um, in the rain. In, well, on Sunday, yes, absolutely. Oh, well, Shay's uh, birthday, and she still it, went around in the rain. Of course, absolutely. They were complaining uh, it was very cold, though. It wasn't very cold. It, it was cold for Florida. Uh, I have the GT E-Regs in front of me now. Thank you to Andrew and a couple of others. A turbo may only be used if it's on the production car, and Andrew has sent that to me, as well as Joe Taylor. Gentlemen, thank you very much indeed, and apologies for my... Um, slackness, my slovenly behaviour in uh, in reading I feel a slattern completely now for not uh, having read all of those uh, uh, regulations uh, if Ford went to the WEC would that encourage Corvette to go WEC Charlie Price tweets to at Spectatement. it's a good point uh, Graham isn't it no I don't think it would is a straight answer. I think the, the difference uh, between Ford and Chevy in this case is the Corvette, whilst it's available in other markets, the, by, by a million miles, the big market for Corvettes is the home market. Um, I think they'd be very pleased indeed if someone could come forward as Lava have tried to get a WEC program, but I don't think they would, uh, for, certainly in terms of marketing, um, put a... Uh, North American program aside for a global program and in any case um, they'll get to race up against the Ford of course on the biggest stage of them all at Le Mans and yes. I think we'd expect John that probably something looking like an NEC uh, the Enduros program would likely be on Ford's agenda too. Let's just stay on these two cars that have been launched, these two supercars that have been launched. Um, why wouldn't ACO bend the rules for NSX? Super GT NX, NSX is effectively a silhouette, says the fabulously named Snarky Moose. It's a fair point, but it's Honda and Acura who are making this decision, is what I understand, Graham, rather than any of the series that we've been talking about. No, I think at the moment, you know, there's no immediate sign 
of uh, that fantastic word electrification mm. of the uh, the GT regs to come in the next iteration. Um, and there are those manufacturers, and I've spoken to a couple, that uh, are basically saying, look, that we think that's a mistake, that perhaps the time is coming where we'll need to look at that. And if you look up and down the, the list of makes that actually are out there in GT racing, whether it's GT or GT3, you don't have to look terribly far to find three, four, five companies that have actually got you know, frontline sports car machinery now that features hybrid drivetrains. So at some point, it's going to have to be accommodated. Uh, but it would seem that at the moment that's being resisted. Okay, Graham, thanks. Uh, that's Graham Goodwin, editor of dailysportscar.com. 10 to 9, Series 10, Episode 2, RadioLamont.com. Tim Gray up in London. What's the next story? Are we staying on uh, sports cars? We are, and uh, last week we reported uh, that Matthias Lauder uh, was... Uh, Matthias what? Lauder. Oh, okay. Was, uh, Always good. Yes. Guessing, uh, guessing a Aston Martin seat. Uh, yeah, yeah, just the seat. He's not actually going to be asked to drive. He's just got a really nice chair to put in his living room. We actually then talked to Matthias at the weekend, or shaded, mm-hmm. uh, and you can hear that interview in uh, one of those programmes. Uh, I believe it was Saturday. It was Saturday, it was yeah. Sunday. No, I think it was Saturday. Uh, so either on Saturday or Sunday, uh, Matthias Lauder talked to Shay. Uh, and then this week, uh, Aston Martin have announced another driver with single-seater heritage. Sorry, uh, say again? This I week, Aston Martin moment. have announced another driver with single-seater heritage. Yes. Uh, and one who's going to continue doing single-seaters because uh, GP2 doesn't clash with the WEC next or this coming season. So he's going to do both. And it's part of a bigger story, Graham, because this is all about the Dane train going TGV, as somebody tweeted today, which I, which I liked an awful lot. Um, the Dane train becomes the pro train. It does indeed. And uh, by the way, if Jan Struve is uh, listening, please, please stop all this Danish dynamite nonsense. It's the Dane train. <laughs> it's been the Dane train for some time. And just because you've had a bit of success in the last year, it's still the Dane train. It's not Danish <laughs> dynamite. You can take that silly sticker off the but It's the Dane train. But uh, this is good stuff. And this is clever stuff as well from... Uh, Aston Martin Racing. Why? Well, because we believe there's going to be some pressure on uh, entries this year for the WEC. Um, currently tracking somewhere between 31 and 34, 35 potential entries. And of course, uh, anything coming forward as a full pro effort in GT is very much more likely to get the nod than perhaps a pro-am car. Now, we know already that we're likely to see um, something like five prospective entries from um, Aston Martin Racing. We expect the, the 97 car to return. That's the Darren Turner, Stefan Mucker car. Now we know that 95 will be in pro. We know that Paul Delalana would like to be there. We know that the uh, the Golf Aston Martin team would like to be there. And there's, I think, potential stories to emerge from there, John, for another day. Yeah, I'll talk about day. that in a moment. Yeah, I'll Absolutely. talk about that in a minute. Yeah, That's fine. And uh, But uh, then in addition to that, of course, we're waiting to hear what the Kraft Bamboo AMR team decide to do. So, you know, potentially there, you've got a team with five cars. You've got a grid that might need a little bit of trimming to get to the 32-car limits. And um, then you've got the other side of things, which is that... Uh, I think Aston Martin Racing are fully aware that they needed at least two, 
credible um, and this is you know, no slur on the Craft Bamboo car in its development year uh, last year uh, at least two properly full pro cars and properly full pro is certainly what they've got with Mr. Sorensen, with Nicky Team and with Christopher Nygaard. Delighted to see Chris Nygaard uh, actually getting the nod uh, after losing his seat in the 98 car uh, mm. by dint to the fact he's been elevated to a gold for, uh, for the 2015 season. Uh, Jim Roller has just uh, tweeted to say it was Sunday and it was him that did it, uh, the louder interview we're talking uh, about. I definitely um, heard Shay do one, so maybe they uh, both did him. All right, OK. Um, the the other Aston Martin news that we're talking about in, involves the, the Gulf-coloured car because apparently Roald Gothi can't do uh, three of the WEC events. Uh, and with a dearth of uh, non-professional drivers, Silver and uh, bronze drivers around the place. Although I've just been reminded by Shea Adam that Bill now counts as a bronze, which has got to be one of the uh, the best bronze drivers around. Tommy Erdos is a silver uh, now. We mentioned uh, Alex Capardia being a, a, a silver driver as well over the weekend. There are still some decent uh, silver drivers out there. But well, I Phil just... Keen. Phil Keane, John. Phil Keane. Phil Keane. Phil Keane is a silver driver, yep. yes. Um, I, I'm a bronze. Hello, anybody? Um, oh, apparently I'm lead. Lead driver. Um, the, uh, a wood. Easily lead. I don't know about Eve's, lead. But this is... <laughs> yes. Eve's just said I'm a wood driver. Okay. Um, let's move on from that straight away. I'm digging myself into a hole I can't get myself out of. Um, I, I wonder what might happen, though. J- JCW had a great run in the... Uh, in the Lambo at the weekend. Stewie Hall, you know, just does what we expect Stewart to do. I I wonder if they might be looking at the the opportunity of of doing a split season if Rhodes not around as well. Uh, doing a full season guarantees you your Le Mans place, Graham, doesn't it? Uh, well, the the question arises: Is there a downside to them entering pro? <laughs> well, the, 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 but the but the thing is, the reality here is that uh, there is a GT Drivers' Championship. So, in other words, drivers in both classes score points depending on the overall finishing order between the two Mm -hmm. classes, which is why we had the 95 crew finishing, I believe, ahead of the 97 crew in the overall order in the WEC. So is there a downside in golf racing entering as a pro squad? I think the answer is there isn't, because if, if Roald isn't racing for the full season, you're then left with the option of putting in another uh, AM driver or racing with the two professional guys. Now, if that's mm. the case, um, they might just as well enter the car in GTE Pro. For the whole season? Yeah, there's no downside. Yeah, no, I I, I, I kind of agree with that. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes before uh, our... Uh, break at half time time just to uh, to drop in now uh, again to the Silverstone board meeting where Patrick Allen the new CEO of uh, Silverstone Circuits is speaking you may not be able to replace your stocks of food for a long time so make them last yeah wise words wise words Patrick excellent stuff briefing uh, for the Silverstone burger uh, vans there yep absolutely um, <laughs> what have we what have we got before nine o'clock Tim have we time for one more uh, or a couple of more sports, quick sports car stories. 
I wasn't expecting there to be any more before nine o'clock. I thought, ooh, that Aston Martin chat will take us nicely to the top of the hour. Well, I mean, and the other thing, of course, is that um, the Aston Martin, we, we sort of touched on it last week, Graham. You, uh, you weren't with us when we did last week's show. I think you were actually in the air on the way to Dubai about the, the Aston Martin Academy that uh, will be looking at a maximum of 10 young drivers, 17 to 25, and uh, where, wherever they might be racing GT4, and the best one of them will be they'll be getting some mentoring and be given a works driving in 2017. Fabulous! I, you know, it does seem at the moment as if um, the the major uh, GT factory teams are seeing the benefit of uh, development programs. Of course, uh, hot on the heels of the Aston Martin program, and a very nice program it is came the announcement while we're in Dubai of McLaren's version of that. Mm. And uh, that will see their two drivers um, being funded for a full season this year. And uh, and happily, one of those two guys is a guy we know well, Ross Wiley, who uh, raced to GT4 title with yes. Beach Dean uh, last year. The other guy is an Ulsterman, isn't he, from memory? Um, yep. I'm trying to remember his name. I always go to your website when I'm struggling for this sort of stuff. I'm trying to do that at the moment myself, but unfortunately... (laughs) Don't worry. Don't Uh, worry. But, but, you know, I think it's good news. Look, we we decry, don't we, what's going on at the moment in uh, single-seaters and about there being lack of a kind of a staircase of talent. Well, that's been busted wide open Mm. by actually what's happening at the moment in, uh, you know, in GT and sports cars uh, with... The opportunity here for young drivers to find, you know, another rung on the ladder, and that's that's great stuff. That's that's uh, that's wonderful. It's um, you know, it, it, the, the guys will be you know, racing alongside and mentored by the um, the 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 current factory trio. Andrew Watson, by the way, is the name of the 19-year-old uh, young man from Northern Ireland, and uh, in fact, I think you've raced against him. Sorry, Grim. Yes, John I think has you- raced against him. You've raced Who? against him, Andrew Watson. You'll have, yes, you'll have, I have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he'll have passed you, mate, as he laps you. Yeah. <laughs> I think not. Uh, Ginetta GT4 Super Cup, um, and yeah. uh, 19-year-old lad. And it, you know what? It's great to see, um, you know, proper factory teams investing in young talent. I, lo- I absolutely love it. Mm. Uh, time for uh, just another snippet of what's going on at uh, Silverstone with Patrick Allen, the new uh, CEO, talking now. help you prepare your emergency toilet arrangements. Keep them in your fallout room. All, all good. And Dish all good. Network as well. In the yes, and Dish Network as well uh, in the background. Trying to get uh, Silverstone to sign up, I'm sure. Um, Graham, don't go away. If you're a um, good driver... Yes. You'd still carve out a decent career, shouldn't you? Oh, you've whittled that one in very nicely. Very good. Are you staking your claim for the best pun? Chipped it in. He did. Absolutely nailed that one on, mate. Very good. Very good. Uh, It is Uh, nine o'clock. That's the first hour. (laughs) Done and done. Midweek Motorsport. And if you thought that hour was packed with insights and comments, wait till you hear what's next. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Every it's week. 
I know, it's great, I'm just it's a surprise, hit the random key. Uh, coming up in the second hour of tonight's Midweek Motorsport Series 10, episode 2, uh, we will be having a bit more news, the pointless press release of the week, of course, a little more insight from Graham Goodwin. More of your tweets at Specutainment, at Radio Le Mans, and on the Midweek Listeners Collective. But next, a piece of music, and a little look back to last weekend's We'll be looking back at the Daytona Raw and a bit of music you might have to get familiar with next here on RadioLamont.com, Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLamont.com. this music you're going to be hearing a lot of it this season it's the theme to our 2015 IMSA countdown to green and very appropriate here as we're going to take a little look back at what happened in the raw before the 24 hours of Daytona it's a three-day test it happened last weekend she Adam and Jim Roller were on hand for us and if you haven't heard their daily submissions from Daytona they're on the archive have a listen lots of interviews very good indeed and in fact Jim will be joining us to try and pick out the important parts of what he and Shea saw last weekend in a little while but let's start off with the man who posted the fastest time Jordan Taylor talked to Racer.com's Marshall Pruitt on Saturday it rained on Sunday so no times were improved and to start with Marshall asked the obvious question how important is it to be fastest on what effectively is a test day yeah, I mean, every time you come to the row, I think we say, you know, we'll only really know halfway through the race what we really have. Um, but right now, as I said yesterday, we worked on just things with the car mechanically to make sure it's going to last 24 hours because we haven't tested since Petite. Um, so just going through little things like that. And then today we started working on the car handling-wise, so it's good to see, you know, we're quick. Um, last year, I don't think we were even in the top five. So to be quickest today, um, I think we did a 39-1 which is the fastest we've gone around here in a long time, uh, is nice. And to see, you know, we were 39-1, but there were 89 guys within half a second. So so that's pretty cool as well, you know, all different manufacturers. So I think for the series, that's that's promising. Hopefully when we get here in a couple of weeks, it'll be like that as well. Um, but from a team point of view, you know, from a driving point of view, I'd say, I mean, all the drivers are getting more and more comfortable with the car. So it can do the lap time, but we're trying to make it as comfortable as possible for for 24 hours. Does it feel good to know that there's a, a tight pack of cars to fight with? Yeah, I mean, it's a good and bad. You also want an advantage, but I mean, for a series and for fans, that's what you want to see. So as a fan myself, I think it's great to see. I mean, last year there was obviously a separation between different cars and to see it a lot closer now. Um, personally, I'm, I think we're all a little surprised how good, how good the P2 car is here because last year you could see we did have that little bit of a straight line speed advantage and Daytona is all about straight line speed. So it's cool to see, you know, Shank and them up there. You know, we did like 39.9, they did 39.4, we did 39.1, they did 39.4. So, you know, it's back and forth depending on track conditions and, and traffic and everything. So I think for a race, uh, it'll be exciting. Another fun lineup with uh, Max, the old axe. That guy, I mean, are we going to be talking about him as your teammate 10 years from now, 20 years from now? I don't know, maybe. I mean, 
He's getting old, but he's still quick. Um, he's doing a couple races with us this year, just the endurance stuff. Um, but, you know, he's, he's really good at Daytona. He's always, he always has been. I think he had the pole here a few years ago. So, I mean, he's plug and play when we get here. So, Ricky, myself, Max, the team knows all of us. We know the team. We know the car. So, it's easy. Um, you know, Ricky did the whole last session. I did the whole morning session. So, no matter who's in the car, we know we're making progress. So, we trust each other that, that no matter who's in there, you know, we're going forward. Marshall Pruitt asking the questions of the fastest man from the Raw weekend. Uh, Jordan Taylor clocked 139.181 in the Wayne Taylor Racing Corvette DP that he shares with Ricky's brother and Max Angelelli. They were just over a tenth of a second quicker than last year's championship winning Action Express DP. So much going on last weekend at Daytona. That's why we dispatched here Adam and Jim Roller. And if we're going to have a proper look back... Probably a good idea to speak to one of them. And Jim Roller is with us now. Hi, Jim. Hi, John. How are you? I'm very well, sir. The Raw before is something... uh, It's obviously a test weekend, but it's a bit more than a test weekend because it is effectively the opening event of the IMSA season now. Yeah, everything was very buttoned up. I mean, there was the usual grousing over driver... (laughs) Uh, rankings, you know, I mean, the the joke that was going around the paddock was gold driver stands for unemployable. Um, but, but And that was really about it. Other than that, it was a very workmanlike atmosphere. There was a, a bit of that reunion quality uh, at Marion's where everybody was gathering for their meals. You had that reunion quality of hey how was your winter happy new year to everybody that sort of stuff but in the paddock it was all checklists and working to a plan Mm. particularly at the sharp end of the field other than the masters all of the p2 style prototypes were brand new this year weren't they the ligers were brand new chassis most of them had just been put together the shank boys had a chance to run theirs a little bit before they came down to daytona but tracy crone was the first run for his car and of course the two hpds that were there with esm one of them didn't even get finished it never ran they were building it all weekend while we were there the other one was a really pretty piece of kit and it will be interesting to see just how quickly they can come to grips with that car. Yeah. Um, it, it, and it looked, it was all in carbon. It was so new that it was all in carbon. They'd thrown some stickers on it, but there was no wrapping or anything like that. It did look like a test mule, which was kind of cool. The big surprise there is the first people that you mentioned, mentioned MSR Michael Shank Racing. I did see the comment of, uh, we're running a, a P2, yes, hell, has frozen, frozen over, which I thought was very funny. Uh, but what, how were the guys, and, and how was Michael's demeanour? Because I actually think it's a smart piece of business. And that's exactly what he said. He is very much in tune with the fact of looking forward for his business. And he was quite clear with me that this was a business decision that he wanted to be the one of the first ones in so that he would then have 
that much of a leg up on the rest of the field when they have to make the transition in a couple of years, like you said, because we all kind of get the gist that that's really the way things are headed in the series. They've given the cars, the, the Grand Am cars, the DP uh, Daytona prototypes uh, time for the guys to amortize their investment. But as soon as that amortization table gets to a certain point, this thing is going to go the direction of P2 because that's probably the most healthy thing for IMSA to do because it's going to not only put them on a closer par with Le Mans, it's going to give them a platform that's going to allow teams to come over from Europe and vice versa. And Michael, who was quite vociferous during the run-up and the early part of the merger, he was pretty what's the word pragmatic about very good word that, that he needed to do this and i think frankly between between us girls i think a lot of the bravado was what he was hoping jim france wanted to hear and i think he learned that that wasn't what jim wanted to hear and he needed to focus on what was going to be best for his company and i think that's where this decisions come from and they were quick in one of the sessions, um, which I thought was very exciting and, and, and was great news for the series. Car looks great as well in that gold... C-3PO, we've deemed that one. C-3PO, yeah, very good. ESM, uh, now Tequila Patron ESM, a, a change of, of title over the, the off-season. Now, we know they're only going to be doing the North American Endurance part of the, the season... They've got a lot to get their heads around with that car. The second car, as you said, coming to them quite late. I think they've had the first one only since uh, the end of January, maybe the beginning of February. I'm just slightly worried that they might have they've bitten off more than they could chew. I thought they might have used the old cars for the early couple of races in, in IMSA, but that that was never in their mindset, apparently. No, I agree with you. I think their cheeks are quite full at this point, and they're not sure whether they're going to be able to swallow or not. And I think that their mindset on this is that they are going to have 36 hours of on-track testing. It is They have nothing to lose by running these, these, these cars. They're not in it for the points. Yes, they'll probably run the, uh, the four endurance races in the IMSA season, but in reality, as you said, their focus is the WEC, so use this as 36 hours of testing, and I think that's where their head is at. They're going to be so much further ahead if they spend the time on the racetrack during both of those events than they would be if they ran the old cars just so that they could seem more competitive and, yeah. and you know, more, more to have their, their stuff together. Now, it means they're, they're getting to test in front of God and everybody, which sometimes can be a little embarrassing, mm -hmm. but that's, you know... Way and it gives them a big leg up for for the the central part of the season, which includes Le Mans as well. Which I I, I get that. I think that's not a bad idea. The, the Daytona prototypes coming to the end of their lives, and then blow me, somebody comes up with one that looks really pretty because that that new Corvette set of bodywork that's come out. I did say it was slightly Ferrari like, particularly in the red colours. But that is a good looking car, especially as our friend Billy McCoy would say. From the back end. Yep, yeah, um, three or three quarter. Looks good. Uh, very well turned out. All of those cars, I was really impressed. That's the most time I've spent around Daytona prototypes in a long, long time. 
and I was very impressed with the fit and finish of everybody's cars, with the way the teams were turned out, very professional operations. Not, not that I had any thought in my mind that they weren't, but it's just that proof in the pudding when you go and you see that these cars really are well turned out and these teams really do have their act together. And there's some very big names there as well, of course. Uh, whatever else has happened, and, and you know, we've heard recently that Scott Elkins is going to be leaving IMSA. Um, whatever else happens with the balance of performance, Daytona is going to be a Daytona prototype track. Not because the lap times aren't equal, but the way that those lap times are delivered. Um, and it, it has been a barometer. The times at the row, we're talking about as if it's a just a, an open test day and it doesn't really mean that much but certainly in 2014 at the Raw that was a real barometer for how things went in the race so we, we should be keeping an eye on what happened in those timesheets that you picked up without a doubt and I think that the interesting thing to me across the eight or so sessions that we had you saw at one point or another all of the big teams mm step to the front. The early time was Ganassi. Then it was uh, Michael Shank. It was Starworks at the very end, which was a huge surprise to everyone. You had uh, the uh, guys from the number 10 car, Max Angelelli and the Taylor brothers in Wayne Taylor's car. They had two sessions where, one session, I'm sorry, where they, where they were quickest. And then, of course, you had the defending race champions from Action Express, who were fastest in two of the sessions. So all that that group of five competitors that you really look for to be the foundation of where your race is going to come, you saw them competing very well. And then Michael Shank came in there with the P2 car in one of the sessions too. So they, like you said, it's a, it's a track that is going to always favor the DP type car. But if there's any sort of attrition, don't count out the Legion. The PCs, the prototype challenge cars, have had uh, a few changes, but I, I have to say I was quite shocked at the kind of uh, times they were putting in because they're going to be sniffing around the, the back of the prototype field for sure. Yes, and with split starts this year, that's going to be interesting because mm. in the past the GTLM and the PC cars have been a little bit closer I think they've given the PC cars a little bit more and so to maybe try and get some separation on that. But again, it was consistency and uh, as Shea pointed out, the core guys are the only car that have the exact same driver lineup, engineering staff and everything else from last year. The RSR guys are pretty close, but the core guys clearly have the advantage going into Daytona without a doubt uh, there was a there was a couple of shunts uh, obviously the uh, flying DP is never a good thing to see John I had eyeballs on it the entire time he came across start finish the right rear tire blew it looked like it was just going to be a lazy spin and he tried to correct it when he did it just snapped around on him and went up into the wall and when the left front corner panel uh, kissed the wall it was just enough to to unsettle the car and the wing when it's going forward creates downforce the wing when it's going backwards <laughs> guess what <laughs> it's lift and so it was a it was a very lazy lift and over onto its top and then he slid 
all the way down into turn one on his top. While it was scary, it was fairly sedate as flips go. I think that they'll be uh, they'll be able to repair that car and be back for the race. I certainly hope so. Or poor Dorsey Schrader will have spent $4,000 on a helmet and $1,000 on a Hans device and not be able to race, and he will be apoplectic over that. And we'll never hear the last of it either. That's the, that's the other thing. The GT categories are around, uh, around 10 uh, of the GT LM cars out. Uh, a reduced field from 12 months ago in terms of the GTD, but I, I think that was always going to be uh, the case. And let's, you know, let's not put any finer point. It's still a very healthy field for the Rolex uh, 24 at Daytona coming up uh, in the, the next couple of weekends' time. The, the GT LMs to start with, uh, it's it's the usual suspects. Uh, nice to see that we have Reese back, but it's it's Porsche, it's Corvette, Aston Martin in, in the in the LM category. They had the '98 car there with 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 all the guys. They were quickest in three of the three of the sessions. And what's the and news about how much of the season they're going to do then, Jim? They're going to do the long races. I think they're going to try and do the endurance championship. The, the, those four races. That's that's kind of the. Nobody would say for sure, but I think that's what they're trying to 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 get in for. Mm. So because they they were the quickest in three of the sessions, the mm. Porsches were quickest uh, in three of the sessions. The Corvette guys were no, and BMW was quick in one of the sessions. Mm. The Corvette guys were no faster than fifth in any of the sessions. Wow. That worries me a little bit. Uh, your interview with Danny Binks. Uh, on Sunday when they were packing up and, and going home due to the rain it wasn't necessarily what he said but how he said it and his demeanour they they were clearly not happy and actually quite pleased to be getting stuff back in the truck and heading back home yeah exactly and we, you know they have a lot of work to do and he knew it and they are going to be packing up to go back to Daytona this coming Saturday in three days mm-hmm. and so they knew that they needed to, to, the rain was the best thing that could happen to them as far as Danny was concerned because that gave him the excuse to get the hell out of there. Yeah. And, and so they were on their way back to Livonia. They'll spend, those cars will go right down to the bare chassis and get rebuilt. They'll put the race transmissions and that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, they'll have a practice engine, but then that'll get changed out before the race. But yeah, I think that they're in a situation where, over a 24-hour race, being fifth isn't an issue. But, boy, I just thought I would have seen my speed out of them at least at least once. Three-car did have some transmission problems yes. on Friday. And so I think that may have changed their plans for Saturday. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you know, again, when you're working to a checklist, sometimes outright speed is irrelevant. Here's the thing, though. is What you want in that situation is to go, that's all right, we're fifth, but we know exactly where the time is. What you don't want is for your drivers to go, car feels great, really nice balance, uh, tyre wear's great, uh, it's pulling really nicely, and you're still not finding the time. Because at that point, you're like, oh Uh-oh. my God, where do we start? BMW, you mentioned there, it's the last year of the, the Z4, the Z4, uh, for GT LM, and no... 
no prospect at the moment of a replacement uh, LM GTLM car, GTE car from BMW Motorsport. They seem to be throwing all their eggs in the the GT3 basket with the new uh, M6 Coupe. Rahal Letterman Lanigan team are among the most professional in any paddock whenever they they turn up they haven't perhaps had the success we might have expected down the last few years how are they looking at 2015 in the season I think their prospects are very good they've got a good driver lineup they've added Lucas Lure to their mm. driver lineup so that's going to be a big plus he's now officially hit for the cycle in Germany uh, started with Porsche went to Audi and is now with BMW so he's <laughs> He's, he's ticked all of those boxes. Uh, they still have Bill Oberlin and, and, and the usual suspects, Dirk Werner. So the addition of Lucas Lure is is very good. For Daytona, they'll add uh, uh, Graham Ray Hall, uh, Bobby's son. He, you know, he is certainly uh, can pedal. So I think they do have a serious shot at the endurance races you know, it was a standard BMW interview. Uh, we're a little down on straight line speed, but um, <laughs> given the right racetrack, I think they're going to be competitive. I think anytime you have the, the 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 twelve, the six, the twenty-four, and ten-hour races, they're always in for a shout. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the most intriguing category is is still. The, actually, before going to that, I do want to talk about Falcon. Actually, I thought Brian Sellers was in sparkling form behind the microphone. Um, there can't be any there can't be any excuses for Falcon this year. They have developed, they have found the performance in certain circumstances. Is it enough for them to just win a couple of races, or have they got to be championship contenders this year? I think they have to be championship contenders. I think to do that, they're going to have to win a couple of races. Mm-hmm. You know, if they do win a couple of races, I think they will be championship contenders. Their they, issue in the past, though, Jim, is that when they've won races, they've they've had you know either the straight or the or the or the very bad weather, and they have dominated those races, and they haven't really been a factor often in in other ones. They need to they need to smooth out those those that sine wave of performance, don't they? Yes, and I think they're confident they have because oh. I think they found some things this winter during testing in Japan. One of the things that, that, that I discovered in conversations with the guys in the past, you know, there was always talk about finding the right compound and everything else. Well, what I discovered was is they actually have the technology on site to actually alter the compounds of the t- tires. Hey? Exactly. So they have found some things that I think are going to be very exciting, and I think that they will be very, very competitive. The other good thing is is the fact that because the factory has put so much effort into the 912 and the 911 cars, that the Falcon guys are benefiting from some of that development. Yeah. And because they've they've kind of wrap their arms around the car more than they ever have in the past that's going to give them as Brian said give them more time to fine tune as opposed to just do course adjustments on the car and then go try and find the fix with a tire compound well now they're able to match them both up and I think that bodes very well this is the first time they've ever been able to do that according to Brian so this is a huge step forward for them almost as 
um, not quite as drastic a step as the Mazda boys with their Skyactiv technology finding seven seconds a lap. Yes. I think that it's going to be an overall consistency for the Falcon guys. So they aren't going to need the freak event or the strange racetrack to be competitive. I, I was going to save the Mazda thing to the end, but before we go to GTD, we'll, we'll talk about that. Got to say, these guys haven't gone about things in a traditional way. And all of a sudden, they've found a little bit of consistency. They're not having to worry about the reliability of the car so much and they can fine-tune, therefore, their handling characteristics. And all of a sudden, they've got a package. They've got a really good package. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, we were speaking earlier about the ESM guys going to be doing all their testing in front of God and everybody. Well, that's what those poor guys from Sylvan, from Speed Source had to do last year. Last year, yeah. Sylvan Tremblay's guys, they were discovering and learning every time they took the car out onto any racetrack and dealing with heat and torque and all of those things that, that all the specifics that are the generalities that, that, well, it broke. Well, it's because they were discovering unbelievable heat and everything else. And if it isn't, you know, if that isn't enough, yeah, it's a diesel, but it's not a diesel using pump diesel or even the kind of standard, more standardized diesel that the Audi guys use. This is cooking oil diesel. <laughs> yes, this that's is, right. This is, this is reusable resource diesel. That That means that it has even more things that you have to learn about its properties and its heat signatures and how it burns and 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 what kind of horsepower and torque mm. it makes so yeah those poor guys were really swimming upstream last year and now they've they've got all of those problems they know where the things are and they've got 90% of that stuff fixed and the speeds that they show that I Without a doubt, they were the happiest guys in the pack. Yeah. Everybody there was walking around with a big old smile on their face. They're really happy to have Jonathan Bomarito back. Mm-hmm. He was He's an integral part of that operation, has been for many, many years, and frankly, I think he was missed. His testing ability, uh, Joel Miller is really good. I mean, he's the, that, that engineer-type driver. But, but Jonathan Bomarito's experience and the fact that he is a lifelong Mazda guy who took a short hiatus to go race Vipers, um, th- that was a huge plus to have have him back. And, and sometimes it's just attitudinal, you know. It's a, it's a guy, it's another guy who they know is going to be in there pulling on the rope in the same direction, and yep. sometimes that's all you need. I think they've got a good season ahead of them, and, and well done to John Doonan for keeping that together, the man at the head of, uh, of Master Speed. You mentioned Jonathan Bomarito there, and that's a nice segue, actually, into the GTD field, because obviously with the removal of the Dodge Vipers, the SRT Vipers, uh, in the GTLM field, that left quite a few guys uh, searching around for work at the end of last season. Uh, strangely, they've quite a lot of them have surfaced, uh, oh, driving... Vipers, but GTD Vipers, the Bill Riley uh, uh, engineered car, and and that's that's actually smart move from everybody concerned, and good to hear that some good guys have got a drive at least. Oh yeah, and I think they are going to be a huge factor in GTD. They were quickest the ninety three and the thirty three car were quickest in two different sessions. Obviously, Porsche in GTD is still the kind of dominant force. Mm. But they are going to have their hands full with those Vipers. 
just absolutely other hands full and they are turned out really it's typical riley you know i mean their their bills group um has always done a great job they did a wonderful job with those srt vipers and these uh ti vipers are just as well turned out and just you know in their class they are as fast and i think probably the technology isn't as cutting edge i don't want to say detuned because that has a negative connotation the GTD cars are a little bit more user-friendly, okay. a little bit less cutting-edge, perhaps. And I think that little extra reliability is really going to stand stand a great stead in, 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 in those cars. I mean, the GTD category is possibly the most competitive because over the season, perhaps not a Daytona, but over the season, uh, we will see... I don't think we'll see anybody dominate because the different cars work better at different tracks and that's the joy of, of sports car racing. At Daytona, it's, you know, I, I think you roll the dice for Daytona with the GTD cars because you never know what's going to happen. All the teams, that you know, all the, the sharp end teams that we've been used to seeing have been there, all the manufacturers. You've got the Turner guys. I'm delighted to see doing a, a dual programme this year in, in uh, Pirelli World Challenge there. Uh, announced that early, we thought we were going to lose them from Inza. They've decided at least to come back and do some of the events. You've got the uh, they've got the Audis back again. Not quite so many, but they'll be there. Porsche, you've mentioned Viper will be be strong as well. I mean, where do you start looking for a winner? And as I said, the numbers were down, but uh, from this time last year. But the strength in depth is is possibly just as good. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I think where do you look for a winner? I think you look at track record and past performance. I think the Turner Motorsports guys who showed up on the last day, there was a fair bit of controversy about whether they were going to show up or not at all for the test. And they were informed by the, the IMSA officials that if they wanted to run the race, they better be there for the test. And so on Sunday, they did show up and they did run, turn some laps. Um, I think that their past performance. I think you look at Bill Riley and his team's past performance. Maybe not in GTD, but they know how to win races. For sure. You look at Alex Job, a team that is a perennial GTD or GTC or whatever class moniker you want to hang on it, uh, perennial champions. They struggled at Daytona, just, oh, by the way. They never were happy all weekend. They, they left kind of scratching their heads because it was that situation where we're not finding any more speed and we don't understand why. And so they've got a lot of work to do between now and uh, 10 days from now when, when, when the green flag falls. The, the, the other ones that you look to are John Wright and the folks from Brumos with Patrick Dempsey. Great driver lineup for... Um, for the 24 hours of Daytona, a team that we don't Great know. Great to see Brumos named back as well after yeah. a little hiatus. And John, it's that classic. It's the white with the with the uh, blue and red stripes and the round 58. It is just absolutely, uh, absolutely stunning. Yeah, well, of course, of course, it is. It's. Well, we overuse the word iconic, don't we, Jim? But I think it's completely justified when we're talking about Brumos racing livery. Uh, thanks to Jim Roller for joining us on our look back at the Raw before and also for he 
and Shea Adams' sterling work at Daytona last weekend. And you know, Jim, it's it's perfect. You, you were talking about Bramos and particularly Patrick Dempsey there because to finish off our little look back, courtesy of Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com, we can have a listen to some of the thoughts of Patrick Dempsey looking forward to a 2015 season that is going to be in some ways quite different. All right, the same. He's, he's still driving a Porsche, but it's not a Dempsey Racing Porsche. It's not Patrick's name above the door. It's Brumos. So how has just being a driver affected how he prepares for the 2015 season? And has it affected his mindset? It's been really enjoyable. It's much more relaxed. Uh, but to say relaxed does not mean we're not really focused and professional. I think uh, that would be uh, misinterpretation. I think probably the most prepared uh, I've ever been prior to the 24. The car is well prepped. Um, the, ch- the team has really good energy. Uh, it's a small group, but a very focused, uh, very professional, uh, and um, good atmosphere. Um, and not having the team hat on takes a lot of pressure off. I can just focus on driving, uh, less responsibilities when I'm not on the track. So that's good. So I have time to really look at the data and, and concentrate on the driving. So it's good. It's a fresh start. Uh, had a great run. Who's to say we won't do that again in the future? I think with the schedule that we have with WEC and everything, it makes the, it, this was the right call. Um, um, so I'm really looking forward to this season. Uh, renewed energy and focus. The real challenge is going to be for us uh, is getting to these tracks I haven't been to to test properly. So I have some sense of awareness part of getting there on the uh, race weekends. But, I mean, that's really part of the challenge and part of the excitement is really that, um, going into the unknown and, and see, meeting those challenges. Challenges. I think that's what's exciting about it. Uh, Porsche, its DNA is all about racing. I mean, that's what it was about from the very beginning, um, and to be a part of that. And you know, it is a, a real family. It's a small group of people who are incredibly passionate, who are driven and focused, uh, hardworking, um, but at the same time, really enjoy what they do. And I think that makes you work harder as an individual because you are representing something as much bigger than any individual. It's the whole that work together, and I think that's what's exciting for me as well. So some your teammates the pros that do this for a living nothing else they're able to stay in that mindset that pure athletic mindset driving fitness optimization how close are you to kind of getting to that level where with the other things you have to do you're feeling more like locked into that racer mindset yeah, I'm really working on trying to balance that out, especially for this year, is to really focus on the racing as much as possible. It makes such a huge difference, you know, testing, training, uh, mentally working, all that. Um, if that's what your focus is, that's it makes a big difference. You, it, it's a tenth here, a tenth there, and that's what you, you need to do to be running up front. Having said that, though, I have to be very clear on what my role is in the team and what I need to do um, each time I go out and really execute and uh, minimize the mistakes and also to remember to enjoy myself. You know, I'm very fortunate to be able to race at this level, to have the support that I have with my sponsors. Certainly, Porsche has been incredibly supportive and really focused on developing me as a driver. Certainly bring a lot of awareness to the sport and visibility, but I think their real care and focus on developing me as a driver and to improve to be the best that I can be uh, is there, first and foremost, which is nice to see. Uh, Spiders coming on board is another sponsor. Beauty Rest is back and Tag, certainly, and and we're, so I have really good partners uh, that have the same sort of philosophy, and uh, that's nice to have that support. And uh, I really want to do uh, my best for them and certainly for myself.
Patrick Dempsey looking forward to the 2015 season with Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com rounding up our look back at the Raw before the 24. And don't forget, you can still either listen on demand or download those daily reports from Shea and Jim. Just look on the archive under Daytona 24. Don't forget, on the 22nd of January, we're proud to announce a brand new service from Radio Show Limited. It's IMSA Radio. And we'll be kicking off with the first free practice session of the Tudor United Sports Car Championship, as well as coverage of the Continental Tyres Sports Car Championship and the other events at Daytona. And that's just a prelude to the whole of the rest of the IMSA series. It'll all be live on IMSA Radio. All the news from across the pond. If it happens over there, hear about it here. Midweek Motorsport. Uh, and uh, joining us now is Marshall Pruitt, uh, pre-recorded um, a few moments ago, but now joining us from the left-hand coast of the United States of America from Racer.com. Uh, good stuff there with uh, with Jordan and Patrick. Thank you very much indeed for firing those through to us earlier in the week, Marshall. The other big story coming out uh, is that on race day, the Daytona 24 race day, the 24th of January, Scott Elkins moves away from IMSA, well, at least takes a step away and is replaced, kind of, by Jeff Carter. That's G-E-O-F-F, not Jeff Carter, who's the FIA media delegate for the WEC. That's got all kinds of potential for confusion. Uh, But, first of all, already an absolutely fantastic reception for Jeff coming on board uh, and part of the IMSA team. Good man. Glad to see that his hiring has been so well received within the IMSA paddock. Uh, and even, uh, if we're talking informal metrics, uh, in the world of social media, whether yes. it's face, Facebook, Twitter, uh, comments uh, at the bottom of various articles, uh, there just seems to be a general positivity regarding Jeff, which is great. That role and position, Heidi, I mean, you want to talk about needing to wear a bulletproof vest with Kevlar <laughs> on top. Uh, that's just one where all the, all the arrows are fired. And uh, I guess Jeff has been a part of that, has received that, been in it uh, in his previous World, Pearly World Challenge series. That series continues to go from strength to strength, but admittedly it's not uh, – it, it still has a, a bit of road to travel to be considered uh, at the same pro level as maybe uh, some of the bigger series that they're trying to compete against. Uh, uh, Jeff, uh, I've known for a while, was just going to say, Heindy, he's mm-hmm. been looking for uh, new opportunities for quite some time and you know, I think reached out to me. <laughs> just as a friend I think around the Indy 500 last year saying hey uh, what do you know what's out there who can you connect me with so it's taken a little while but great to see one of the good guys is adding to IMSA strength I'm slightly concerned or confused rather should I say I'm slightly confused kind of mixed messages coming from Scott Elkins and from IMSA it sounds like Scott uh, is wanting to stay involved it sounds like IMSA have cut him loose and he's going to go and do Roads to Indy. Can you, you know, in a in a sentence or so, can you throw any light on on actually why Scott is leaving and what we think he is going to do, and whether he's still got a, a role in in IMSA going forward? I don't want to put all, you know, he has some 
very positive things to announce in the near future. I don't read a lot into official press releases simply because <laughs> there's <laughs> there there sometimes there are reasons motives behind them. Uh, you can call it a mutual parting of the ways, and that would be very honest. I think if we're even a little more honest, we could say that uh, Scott has uh, who moved to a consultant role. Uh, I don't remember the exact point, but last year instead of full time role, he's picked up a lot of things and should be announcing some really uh, cool and. And exciting thing. Oh, Marshall, come back to us. Hello, Marshall. And um, and um, can you hear me now? Can yes, you, we can. Now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we'll you talk. hear me now? Can you hear yes. me now? Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, on. don't know where I went. Um, he, uh, I think you could say Scott just got a little bit burned out. It's it's yep. a very intensive. Uh, busy role, and also uh, he has some other great opportunities that I think he'll be announcing fairly soon. He he's has not been a full time employee of IMSA. That change that status changed, I think, midway or latter part of 2014. And frankly, he's picked up. He's had a lot of interest from other companies uh, for him to perform his consulting services with. So not a cutting loose by IMSA, not him running away from IMSA. Just I think that relationship had run its course, and he has does have some genuinely cool things. He's um, moving forward to um little bit of uh, of news around about eight years ago sam collins of race car engineering tipped us off to a chip ganassi facility at laurel hill uh, underneath uh, it was the old uh, pennsylvania turnpike wasn't it uh, underneath there it was used for many years aston martin used it in great secrecy to to hone their gte cars it's come to the fore again because it's being used again for other bits and pieces but also because of a parallel and apparently even superior facility um within a stone's throw of where i am at the moment well if you've got a long arm um at catesby in northamptonshire an old railway tunnel all of a sudden um doing full-size aero driving fast uh, through man-made tunnels it's, it's become uh, the the hot topic again yeah, I think that, well, A, 100% correct on Sam. Uh, and, I mean, if you think about it, he, he's broken a lot of really interesting and amazing things uh, as a part of race car engineering, and this probably has to rank towards the top. Uh, one of my, my colleagues, a long-time friend, and I guess also one of my bosses at Road and Track, Larry Webster, I think he heard about uh, the Laurel Hill Tunnel probably at a very similar time but from, from someone else and uh, he's just always wanted to write about it and finally it's taken him a, a while but he I think was able to take what Sam revealed in, a t- in technical terms and just put a fantastic story around it. Just true storytelling, mm. not yeah. so much the technical side. And yeah, what's been interesting is seeing that go live, how many of the former Ganassi team members yeah. have chimed up on Facebook, oh boy, it's always freezing in there, and so on and so forth. <laughs> so this thing that had been you know, kept as secret as possible, it, for me it's been fun to see some of the folks uh, now kind of chiming up and going, oh, you know, when I was there, and you know that folks like Larry or Sam or others years ago would have d- just given anything to gotten to get to get that input. So the, great to the, see, and yet... Sorry, go ahead. 
No, just going to say, and, and for what's happening in the UK, I mean, that uh, we have a private tunnel here uh, in Pennsylvania with Ganassi, and for what is going to be a commercial, the commercial tunnel in the UK uh, is also longer. Uh, and I think, you know, Coast Down, for example, is something that uh, teams have been doing for a long time, going to an airstrip or somewhere else and doing aerodynamic testing, speeding up to X speed, coasting down, measuring the uh, drag and downforce and all those things. But keep in mind, they're influenced by whatever the ambient uh, conditions happen to be. So it's not always a linear thing, if you wanted to call it that. True data matching, consistent data with what these tunnels offer is truly consistent environments, uh, which then allows teams to dig even deeper, to find, quantify the, the minutiae even more. And the last thing I'll mention on that, Hindy, is the reason a tunnel like this came uh, to the fore and Ganassi developed it is if you think about the time when it came online around 2004, it's really when you had Honda, Toyota, and such right. investing a lot of money in the racing league spec cars. So finding the, the minutia, finding these tiny differences and quantifying them and using them, that's where winning and losing was separated. So it yeah. makes sense that spec racing actually drove the development of uh, Laura Hill coming to uh, coming to light. Sharpening the razor blade and uh, listen out for uh, an inside special on the Catesby uh, Tunnel with Total Sim and Aero Research Partners uh, coming up shortly. We're in the process of, of putting that together. Uh, we've got a, a separate jingle for a little bit of NASCAR news and Jim's... Uh... Okay. This is Crown Court. It is. Okay, um, this must must be then, if it's a court case, this must be about Kurt Busch uh, and the, the well, revelation... Don't, don't say any more, John. Okay, okay. Kurt Busch is a... Let me turn that down a little. Kurt Busch is a depressive alcoholic. Says who? According to courtroom testimony. Okay. Which means it's privileged and we're allowed to say it. Okay. Uh, but is he a deluded fantasist? Also courtroom testimony. No, that's a question. Okay, right. Uh, yesterday he told a court in Delaware that his former girlfriend, Patricia Driscoll, was a trained assassin who took part in covert missions around the world. He claims that one night when they were staying in a hotel in El Paso, Texas, she left wearing camouflage gear and boots, only returned later wearing a trench coat covering a ball gown covered in blood. Driscoll, it is claimed, went on missions across South and Central America and Africa and was involved in the assassinations of foreign drug lords. Just MP, this is just. I don't even know where to start with this one because you know it, it is motorsport, it is a big name in the sport, but uh, where do we start on this? I, I, just, I don't know. I've interviewed Kurt Bush not many times, but enough, been around him enough, spoken with him enough to know that. He's not a tinfoil hat type, Hindy. He's not the guy raving about, you know, aliens wiretapping his molars and speaking to him, you know, from Jupiter. That's not Kurt. I mean, look, you and I know some drivers and some people in motor racing who give them enough time, and they probably would start telling you stuff like that that they believe, that they're related to Bigfoot and whatnot. The, Kurt's known as a crazy, wild, unfiltered guy. Complete... Uh, complete wild child but 
he's never been known as that crazy guy you stay away from the loon per se now that's not saying I know any more than what anyone else has read from these court transcripts but just in terms of character having interviewed the guy a couple times been around him other times doesn't necessarily fit him um, we know that his ex-girlfriend uh, you this know, is Patricia, she, Patricia Driscoll. She's she's known as the the pocket commando. The and she's, pocket commando. Yes, she's popped uh, up on TV. Yes, uh, the the militarized uh, solution provider per se. So, at first you say, "Wow, what poor Kurt Bush! This guy is off his medication." Just reading the quotes, <laughs> you dig a little deeper. You look at some of these things and you go, well, again, I can't, none of us can say what, these two only know what is fact and what is fiction. Mm -hmm. But That's true. we can say that at least for the image she's trying to portray, trying to sell through a reality show, clips of which have, have are online now, if you want to, if you just Google Pocket Commando, you'll see that at least uh, you would be able to understand how Bush got the impression or came away believing that she was if she wasn't an assassin she certainly fit the stereotype and that, again yeah. what look up pocket commando and you tell me whether he's a complete raving lunatic for believing these things uh again i can't tell you if she is an assassin but I can't tell you that she's at least in the zip code of someone who tries to give off the impression of being a, a gun-firing, camo-wearing uh, butt-kicker. So, she didn't deny it in court, did she, Marshall? No, but again... Uh, the court case as well, we should say, is uh, about um, domestic violence between those again, two, is it not? No, Yeah, and no joke. I mean, that that isn't a joke, nor are we joking about no, that. No, no, absolutely. Um, I, I just find the whole thing mildly bizarre. Uh, you know, this, this, this whole situation, and, and we're not trying to make light of, of domestic violence. It's something we'll have to keep keep an eye on and, and find out uh, how it how it develops and, and but, if it potentially I mean can it can it it would affect his career clearly if he's if he's found guilty. I oh absolutely. Absolutely after the uh Ray Rice case here yeah. uh, in America, the uh fo the American, American football yeah. player uh who you know most people in the world have seen the footage of him punching and knocking out his girlfriend and in after the yeah. aftermath of that you know any <laughs> any male any male athlete we have seen uh putting his hand on a woman in any way shape even children mm. uh we had one of the star running backs in the n f l uh, uh parked for the season for over uh, i guess punishing his son uh so it basically if you are a man and an athlete in north america and you use your arms legs or whatever means to inflict punishment on someone else and are ruled for having been wrong in doing that you can guarantee your career is in severe jeopardy so i would say that if he is found guilty uh we it Kurt Bush is in for some bad times, not just some funny punchlines about dating a former assassin. No, indeed. Uh, Tim, uh, and as I say, we're not making light uh, of that at all. He's probably looking at some jail time uh, as well for that. Uh, Tim, what? Uh, there's an IndyCar story you want to ask Marshall about as well, I think. There was, I've got one more thing on that story, which is that uh, uh, last month, uh, a guy called Michael Donkeff, who is her former personal assistant... Uh, in a different courtroom, 
testified that she told him that she was a trained assassin, she <laughs> took down foreign governments, and she owned Washington. I don't... I, I think she meant... When you say that, I think she meant, I own Washington. I don't think she meant, I own Washington. I don't think, I think she... she means fi- politically rather than... Yeah, all right. Moving on. <laughs> the uh, Indie Light series is testing. Right Absolutely. Now. Kyle Kaiser has moved to the top of the timesheets in the number 44, and the number 18, I should say. Yeah, quite interesting. You are watching that live, aren't you, Marshall? You are watching the timing live. It's my job. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, Good man. Uh, look, we have... Roughly half of the cars have been delivered the, in terms of batches being made. There are two batches of 10 being produced by Delara uh, teams in terms of receiving cars and having them ready to go test. We have roughly, uh, it's a little bit more than 10, but uh, we have a little bit more than the first uh, batch of cars at ready. We have eight cars on track right now at uh, Palm Beach International Raceway, that famous Thank you. international circuit. Um Tough little track, actually. It's a little, uh, it's it's a little technical track, though, and you know this is the dawning of a new era for for Indy Lights, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, heck, just seeing the cars in different liveries, uh, just I'm so happy that this car. Everyone has, I think, almost everyone has agreed, looks amazing, uh, and should indeed revitalize the series. Just great to see a bunch of cars out there. Different different liveries uh, showing the curves of the thing, the massive rear tires, the very you know svelte bodywork and such. Just cool to see this thing go from concept or hey here's a show car to cool. There's eight cars on track, and uh, by the numbers that I keep you know putting together in my head, we should have minimum fifteen, very conservative number to you know possibly as high as twenty for the season opener uh, in March, and that's up from some races in 2014 where there were eight cars on the grid, maybe nine. They're often 10 to 11, but uh, single digit, as we saw in British Formula 3 this year, is uh, it's scary. So just great to see that we uh, will have essentially almost doubled the car count um, going into 2015 with this new chassis. Who's, who's, the, who's the hot shoes that uh, we need? Who's, um, names that we might, might recognize or people that we should be looking out for? Out of the UK, Jack Harvey is returning for his second okay, season. Good. He he came very close to winning the championship in his first outing last year with Sam Schmidt uh, or with Schmidt Peterson Motorsports. He just uh, officially resigned uh, this past week. So Jack, you can count on definite to me, champ- absolute championship uh, contender, if not favorite. We have 2014 Pro Mazda champion Spencer Piggott, who is competing. Uh, we have Shelby Blackstock, who's been working his way up the ladder with Andretti. He's graduating to lights. RC Anderson, uh, who won the uh, U.S. Formula uh, Ford 2000 championship last year, the first rung of the Mazda Roast in- Road to Indy. He uh, is graduating, uh, and there's a few more that will be announced. Scott Hargrove, who battled with Piggott uh, down to the wire for the Pro Mazda championship. Uh, we're hoping he's testing right now for 8-star motorsports. Uh, we're hoping to see that confirmed as a full-season opportunity. Matty Brabham is getting closer to returning with Andretti Autosport, uh, so hopefully that will happen. There's This is going to be a very strong year. Um, there definitely going to be... There should be a fairly high graduation rate of uh, Gabby Chavez, who won the title last year, should be moving up 
doing some portion of a light of an IndyCar schedule. Uh, Zach Veach is supposedly going to be doing ovals with Andretti Autosport and uh, could have a few others, but uh, I know that there's a few other names, Heidi. Uh, I won't throw them out because they're not quite done, but there are a few other drivers who have been in lights in the past year or two that are expected to return. So uh, I think we're going to see a strong grid, plus we have some new blood coming in with Carlin Racing. So uh, i got to tell you, Heidi, this it's not a year to be overconfident about uh, we're not going to say it's back and it's perfect but boy the the road to indy finally has a top rung where you can say yeah that's functioning as the way it should and when we get to 2016 uh, i would say we should be starting off the year with a minimum 20 cars on the grid and that is wonderful news there's one name uh, on the timing sheets today Marshall, who you didn't mention, that's uh, Ethan Ringle. He raced in GP3 last year here in Europe, um, managed by Jay Howard as well. Is he going to be doing the lights full season? That poor kid. Um, No, I love Jay. To be honest, uh, I do not know if he is going to be doing full season, and that's just my ignorance. But I mean, there's some other names I didn't mention as well. Felix Sorales, great to see him uh, looking, or great to see him signing to come do the championship. Uh, I believe I mentioned Kyle Kaiser out front, so Mm. he is in as well. So uh, I will have to look into a good old Ethan a little bit more. One thing about this test as well, Tim, is it's the first, quote, official test of 2015, but it, it's not uh, necessarily a window of exact driver and team combinations. There's also a little bit of let's go test, feel it out, um, a little bit of auditioning going on as well. So I think we'll get more stuff locked down in the coming weeks. Cheers, MP. Great stuff. Thanks for all your uh, assistance at the Raw before. And I'll see you at Daytona next week, mate. Uh, are you around for uh, the Wednesday show? I will be in the air, but I'll tell you, if Southwest Wi-Fi is strong enough, I will find a way to participate <laughs> from 30,000 feet in the air. Now that we've got to try and do. All right, cheers, mate. Marshall Pruitt from uh, Racer. Dot com, uh, and uh, just time for the we've got one more chance to drop in uh, on Silverstone in a moment but uh, first of all here's the pointless press release of the, the news that no one is talking about the stories that aren't reported anywhere else and for valid editorial reasons pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport was it a good week for pointless press releases this week Tim? it wasn't a bad week um we had uh, <laughs> that's <release>. non-committal. <laughs> we had a press release about a book signing. Oh, right. Now, I'm not convinced that a press release about a book signing is that newsworthy, and particularly not when it's a book signing that's happened in the past. <laughs> well, hang on, a book si- pa- signing happened. It was very successful. Kind of release. A lot of books were signed. Yes, books were available and were signed. Mm, okay. Okay, let's not even give that one any airtime. I think we should move straight on from that. Uh, so our winner this week comes from NASCAR. Okay. Who have uh, sent out a press release announcing updates to the NASCAR Hall of Fame voting panel. Right. Okay. Not very interesting, but not... Okay, I'm not... All right, go. Go with it. Go with it. Okay. Uh, NASCAR today announced several revisions to the NASCAR Hall of Fame, NHOF, voting panel. The 58-member panel right. will vote for the NHOF class of 2016 on Wednesday, May 20th on Charlotte, North Carolina to be That's announced... That's fewer than the Academy for the Academy Awards, though, in to, fairness. To be announced that afternoon in the NASCAR Hall of Fame's Great Hall. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, for the first time, NBC will be represented on the voting panel. Uh, there are eight new members in this 58-member panel. Okay, so uh, it's, is it going? For, it's going from 50 to 58. No, I think they've taken eight away as well. Okay, fine. Um, so uh, Jeff Burton is uh, NBC Sports representative. Right. Um, and one of the eight new members. who also include Kevin Harvick, who gets uh, a vote as being the reigning Spring Cup champion. Hmm. Um, That's good. Uh, and uh, lots of other journalists, uh, including Eli Gold. Oh, uh, rightly so. He, he is... Uh, one of the voices of, of NASCAR, no doubt about it. And then they list the 58 uh, voting members of the voting in panel. In the release? In the press release. Never do lists and release. That's, I was taught that. There are different categories of them. There are members of the press. There are people affiliated with manufacturers. So mm-hmm. Edsel Ford is there, for example, and Toyota's David Wilson. There are Edsel Ford, the, f- the person, rather than a 1960s car, obviously. Yes. Right. Uh, there are people who are... 50s car. ...important in the motor racing world. Like? Um, Humpy Wheeler. Yeah, no, very good, yeah. Um, and uh, then there's a load of retired people. What, like Joe Bradley? Like Joe Bradley, but not Joe Bradley. Oh, OK. But, uh, they have a whole section of people who are retired who are on the panel. So okay. Ned Jarrett, Richard Petty, Ricky Rudd, retired drivers, Junior Johnson, Bud Moore, Robert Yates, Buddy Parrott, Waddell Wilson, Eddie Wood. They even have retired journalists. Mike are all of those guys not AP. already in the Hall of Fame, though? Because <laughs> there's some big names there. Yes, but these are the voting panel for the new generation, ah. the 2016 nominees. OK, I think we can stop retired there. Retired journalist uh, Tom Higgins. Uh, Eric Rood uh, has said, when I was a little boy, I always dreamed about signing books. Of course he did. Uh, last <laughs> chance to to drop in on uh, new CEO of Silverstone Circuits. And uh, what's he talking about here? So make sure your radio is in good working order. And if you have a spare radio, keep it in your fallout room. Radios must be battery operated because your electricity may be cut off. So be sure to get some spare batteries. Wise words, Patrick. Wise words, Patrick. And that is about it for Series 10, Episode 2 of Midweek Motorsport. Thanks to Marshall Pruitt, uh, to Jim Roller and to Graham Goodwin. Tim was uh, Tim Gray was our executive producer up in London. The responsible adult was A. Fewitt. I'm John Hindhoff. Uh, stay tuned for more new programming coming up next here on RadioLeMond.com. It is Big Wednesday. Uh, and there's no time to explain because the llama is building a fallout room. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.